This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's been a while since we talked about our electricity bills and the government is giving us a bit of relief given that many of us are back at home more of the time with more restrictions. As of today, the Ford government will charge off-peak rates for three weeks to help, according to their release, families, workers, and small businesses. Now, I'm finding the whole thing quite confusing, frankly. Uh, does that mean that you have to qualify? Does that mean that seniors are excluded? On the other hand, it says the discount will be applied automatically, which makes me think it's universal because that would be a lot of work to try to tease out who's a worker and a small business and a family. So um, that is about half of peak rates these off-peak rates. Uh, So is that enough? What does it amount to? I want to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm sure that our guests have more clarity than I do. I'd like to welcome Peter Tabbins, NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth and the Energy Critic, as well as Paul Accioni, a senior management consultant with over 48 years of engineering and management experience in the nuclear and fossil power generation industry. Thank you for being with us. Hello. Hey, Libby. Hey, Paul. Good to be Hi. on with both of you. Uh, well, Peter, let's start with you. Uh, uh, so uh, was this just the way they kind of framed it, families, small businesses, uh, and workers, or uh, do you actually have to qualify? As far as I know, Libby, uh, it's automatic. It's just a change to our bills. Uh, so I don't think people are going to have to submit any forms. Uh but I, I have to say, although it's welcome, it really is a small drop in the bucket in the kind of help that people in Ontario need. You know, I talk to small businesses in my riding, the, the programs that have been announced. Uh, they're, they're not really sure that these will help them stay alive. And frankly, if we're going to get people back to work when this is all behind us, we need those workplaces to survive. Uh, and I know for a lot of my residents who are tenants, uh, they're really stretched to the limit and uh, the failure to bring back in a moratorium on evictions is making them very, very nervous because they, they don't know if they'll be able to hold on to their homes. So I, I think, sure, if you're going to offer us some support, we'll take it. But I think if you're actually going to look after the people in this province, you have to think bigger. Um, yeah, uh, Paul uh, Accioni, just getting back to my original question, because there's language in this release, uh, you know, suggesting people who qualify, but if it's automatic, uh, I'm assuming that that they can't parse it that way. No, it's, it's going to be applied to everybody uh, on their bill. They don't have to do anything. The utilities will just recompute the rates uh, for those that three-week period. So they'll have to make some software changes to their programs so that you get the bill correctly issued to you, but it'll it'll be it'll be automatic. And and for the average the average residential consumer, it represents about a twenty percent discount on the energy cost. This is the commodity cost in your bill. Ah, so it's not even because I was looking up the average bill in Ontario is about ninety five bucks a month. Am I correct? It, you you are, and uh, the commodity the commodity portion uh, of the bill. Um, it doesn't represent the, the whole amount because a lot of people don't don't realize in the delivery charge, there's approximately two cents per kilowatt hour that's charged for trans uh, transmission, and there's about a, a twenty-five to forty dollar, depending on your utility, twenty-five to forty dollars a month, which is a flat charge for for basically your distribution system, and for billing you every month. So. 
So it, it's not it's not the twenty percent on the on the whole bill. It's twenty percent of the commodity or the energy cost. Sorry, it's it's half of the the energy cost. That, that that's another whole thing. As a matter of fact, our our uh, morning Zoom show co-host Sam Houston was saying, uh, you know, are we going to get any guidance on how to read the energy bill? So, <laughs> it's, so it's complicated because a lot of a lot of the detail is hidden in the uh, line items, like the delivery charges. Uh, a mishmash of all kinds of stuff that's energy related, uh, flat monthly related, um, and, and, and so the aver- average person doesn't know how to take it apart. But but if for those of you who are, who are interested and, and you have a spreadsheet and you want to do the calculations yourself, you can go to the OEB site and uh, ask uh, for a download of the OEB rate uh, rate orders. And uh, and you can pick the utility that 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 uh, services you, and there are tables at the back uh, that gives you all the uh, gory details for those of you who are mathematically uh, inclined. Uh, um, OEB, by the way, people is the Ontario Energy Board. That's right. Uh, so, Peter, um, with this clarification, uh, uh, it looks like we're talking about twenty bucks here. We're talking about. Say that again, Libby. I said it. It looks with the clarification that it's 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 uh, we're getting a fifty percent break on uh, the commodity price. Oh, sorry, not a twenty percent break. Twenty percent on the commodity charge, yeah. which is uh, probably um, um, I, I didn't do the math. Sorry, uh, but it's it's probably about uh, oh sixty percent, maybe seventy percent. Between sixty and seventy percent of the bill, so uh, I, I don't know. Let's say around twelve to fifteen, twelve to fifteen dollars a month. I'd, I'd have to run the numbers to get a right, a correct number, but in that range. Okay, yeah, I, I would say Paul's probably in the range. Let's say ten dollars a month for three months, so thirty bucks. Uh, three, three months is three, three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. <laughs> three weeks. It's three weeks. So but it's only I, it's only at three quarters of the monthly bill. Yeah. But just well, a minute. Wait a minute. If it was I, three months, it would be really something. So what? Seven or eight dollars? I mean, I I don't think it's going to make a lot of difference to most people. Frankly, I think there are all kinds of other issues where people really need help, like paid sick days uh, that they aren't getting. So uh, the the bigger things that people need to get through this pandemic. Um, they're not getting the way they need to get them, Libby. And I, I again, um, the rebate's welcome, but it's just a drop in the bucket. Right. I, I still want to drill down on the, my understanding is the off-peak rate is about half of the peak rate. So wouldn't that be half of the commodity price? Uh, it, it, it would for the, the hours during peak hours. But remember, you get the off-peak rate off peak and you also get oh, right. <laughs> you also get the off peak rate all weekend saturday and sunday and holidays so so it, it it you know the average price that people pay for their electricity is about 10.3 cents per kilowatt hour even though the peak rate is 17 uh, i think it's 17 cents a kilowatt hour yeah. so so the reason the reason the average is so low at ten point three is because your weekends and holidays are basically at at the off off peak uh, eight point two cents rate. That so that has a huge impact on the bill. Okay, uh, no wonder it's it's uh, it's confusing. And now I'm thinking, well, why are we talking about ten bucks? Um, but you know, ten bucks is still ten bucks. And I think the issue of the complication of this and um uh peter i mean are they just really trying to make hay out of uh, basically something that's uh, almost nothing yeah I, maybe i think that's a pretty good way to characterize it i i mean i said drop in the bucket but making something big out of something that's almost nothing yeah that's fair too i mean again if someone uh, is on a fixed income and they get a free ten dollars. Well, that's that's some groceries, but frankly, I, I think people in Ontario need more help than this. Businesses in Ontario need more help than this, uh, and I don't think they're going to get it from this very very little contribution. Uh, ten dollars. Well. I'm not sure I would have banner headlines about it. That's all I can say, Libby. Okay. Uh, Libby, Libby, and can, I, can I just remind sure. your, re, uh, your your listeners that there are other programs, if they're low income, that, that are much more valuable, like the Ontario Electricity Support Program. 
offers monthly rebates anywhere from, well, depending on your income and how many people are in the house, but you know, anywhere from a, a few dollars a month up to up to seventy-five dollars a month in reduced electricity charges. So, so that 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 is quite a quite a substantial uh, credit that that you should, if you qualify because of income and number of people in your household, you you should apply for it, and you have to apply for that one, or you don't get it. And, and I want to throw something out there because uh, I heard from somebody on Free for All Friday, uh, but wasn't able to take the call. And that is, I think there were some people who had their electricity subsidies clawed back because they received CERB. Uh, and um, maybe that that's been reversed or not, but that's, you know, another... Another problem with all of this out there. So uh, if you're listening and you that's applied to you and there's been some issue with your subsidy, or if you're getting the subsidy and everything's working fine, we do want to hear from you. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's hear from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi. Sounds like one of Peter's ideas is to subsidize everything is the cure to the situation. My worry is, like, who, who's really going to pay for this in the end? I think hydro is already subsidized on an ongoing basis, if I'm not mistaken. So I've got one level of government now adding an additional subsidy. And meanwhile, I've got another level of government that taxes me for the natural gas to heat my house. So one's giving and one's taking. You know, I think the problem here is government getting involved in it. Maybe we should let private industry do it. Hmm. Uh, uh, I will. I will let Peter respond to that. Bill, thanks for your perspective. Sure, I I, I appreciate uh, the caller stepping in on this. Uh, the reality is that um, we've had more and more privatized hydro system in Ontario over the last few decades, and it's seen our rates go up really sharply. Uh, if uh, we want to have affordable rates, I think we have to move back to a, a publicly owned system where we aren't contributing to profits of big companies uh, like the now privatized Hydro One. Uh, all those dollars should be flowing into our pockets, not into investors' pockets. So I think um, the, the reality is uh, the more we privatize, the more costs have gone up. If you look at privatized systems, uh, through the United States, they have much higher electricity costs than the publicly owned systems in the United States. So I, I'm not sure I'd agree with the caller on that. I think that... Oh, I'm uh, pretty sure you wouldn't. <laughs> pardon? I said, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't. No, actually, uh, Libby, I think being definitive is really a good thing. Yeah, I don't agree with the caller. On yeah. That. Um, uh, Paul Accioni, so we have the subsidy for low income uh, of about 75 bucks a month. What else is out there? Well, for, for people that are really in trouble and can't pay their bill, there's an emergency support program. Uh, I think it's called the Low Income Emergency Assistance Program. And that one you also have to apply for. And it's a one-time uh, benefit that, that they help you to pay your bill and get back get back on, on track so that uh, you're not carrying a, um, a deficit on your bill and, and under under threat of having your power cut off, which they're, 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 they can't they can't cut it off in the wintertime, so that's good. But uh, but the government will help you pay pay uh, your bill if you really can't can't meet uh, meet the payments. And 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 there's an income test on that too. So. That one has to be applied also, uh, has to be applied for also. And are these uh, applications, are they very complicated, difficult? Uh, well, it, it, they're really not that complicated for somebody that, that's been through school. But, you know, a lot of the people on, on low income don't have a, a college or university degree or even a high school degree. So they may be a bit challenged. But, but you can go to community support groups that will help you fill out the paperwork. And and do follow up because uh, sometimes with this COVID, nobody's in the office anymore. The paperwork gets lost, and uh, and uh, and they don't they can't go back if they've lost the paperwork in the mail or what have you. Uh, those months are gone. You don't you don't get your money for for delays in 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 things that get lost in the paperwork. Oh, jeez. Um, let us go to Tom and Ajax. Tom, I'm so glad you called. Uh, you're the person with the electric subsidy in CERB, so tell us. Tell us. 
Okay, I didn't know this, but you have to renew it annually. So when I did apply for it annually, they denied me because I took CERB in 2020, and it uh, temporarily inflated my income above the level. Right. Um, what I didn't do, so I got an email, was I didn't read all the way down to the bottom where it says, if you still feel you may qualify, call this number, which was the board itself. Okay. And they were extremely helpful. They said, yes, we realize this. We realize that tens of thousands of our customers are in this predicament. They already have a system in place to help you that doesn't involve going through the government. So you, they give you uh, numbers to call in your postal code for agencies will act on your behalf. I had to send them three-month bank statements and a copy of my bill showing my last uh, subsidy. They apply on your behalf. They call it a temporary income or a manual income adjustment. Okay, so... so does uh, not use your 2020 income tax, and I was able to get it back, and now it's good for five years instead of just one. Okay, that sounds that sounds fairly complicated, but I guess it happened to a lot of people who uh, who got served. Like there was there were all these other issues with people who got served who allegedly weren't supposed to get served, and the government was going to go after them to collect it, and then they changed their mind. I mean, it's all I guess a bit of a mess, which is might be to be expected. Uh, Tom, thank you for clarifying that for us. Appreciate it. It was more complicated than it is. It really wasn't all that complicated, and it was surprising. Okay, that sounds good. I like to hear that. Um, So uh, we are just about out of time on this. What would you like to leave us with, uh, Peter Tabbins, first? Yeah, um, thanks, Libya. Again, um, 10 bucks is better than no bucks, but I think if the the Ford government actually wants to help people in Ontario, it needs to uh, deal with the lack of paid sick days. It needs to be supporting small businesses so they survive and can provide jobs when we get through this pandemic. Uh, it needs to be thinking bigger about how all of us will get through this instead of making small announcements that sound big but really don't deliver the goods. Okay, Paul Accioni, last 20 seconds to you. Uh, subsidies are always uh, nice when you receive them, but uh, somebody, as you, as the reader, as uh, the caller mentioned, has, somebody has to pay for it, and, and it's likely our children and grandchildren are going to be paying for it through the higher de- deficits that the governments are racking up these days. Okay, thank you so much, MPP Peter Tabbins and Paul Accioni. Appreciate Thanks, your time. Libby. Thanks, Libby. Bye-bye. 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 Right. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is in a bit of hot water and it's over something that he usually criticizes the liberals and conservatives about. And that is conflict of interest, accepting what I think was a fairly large gift, at least his wife did. And we will have more on that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is in a bit of trouble, ironically, for the kind of thing he usually criticizes others for, accepting gifts that put him in a potential conflict of interest. There was a picture of him, a picture he posted on Instagram holding his newborn daughter, and he was sitting in a $2,000 rocking chair that was a gift from the company to his wife in exchange for her posting about it. Now, Jagmeet Singh posted it too, and he tagged the company. That's where you you uh, tag the people you want to see this or that you're acknowledging in your post. Now, his wife, Gurkiran Kaur, ha, um, seems to be a so-called influencer. She has 143,000 followers, and her page directs people to email her about business inquiries. Um, so... Uh, I saw the post when it came out, uh, the the Jugmeat post. Hers was beforehand. And uh, honestly, I didn't look at the chair. I was looking at Jugmeat Singh and the baby. So uh, first of all, congratulations on that. And well, now he says he'll pay for the chair 
and that he and his wife have, quote, recognized their error. And the NDP says it's cooperating with an investigation by the ethics commissioner. So what do you think? Is this the pot calling the kettle black? Um, some people say it's not a big deal. I've heard some people say that it's not a big gift of $2,000. I mean, I, I don't know what planet that's from. So the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I'm joined by Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, and David Tarrant, vice president of National Strategic Communications at Enterprise. Thank you both for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Let's begin with uh, Duff Conacher. Uh, is, is the legislation clear that neither politicians nor their families can accept gifts? Uh, it is clear, other than gifts uh, that are nominal gifts of, uh, in terms of the dollar value that are given uh, as part of hospitality courtesy or protocol that goes with, along with an MP's position. That would be something like um, having a meal when you are uh, going to a community event. Um, if the group is lobbying the federal government, then uh, you have to be even more careful with, with something like that uh, or if they gave you some something to take away um, because uh, you can't accept any gift that might reasonably be seen to have been given to influence you. And obviously, if the organization is seeking something from federal politicians, then uh, anyone could reasonably see that they're giving you a gift to influence you. And small gifts have influence. That's been proven by psychological tests around the world. And so we have to be very careful about this, or MPs can easily be bought off by small gifts that will influence their decisions. Well, uh, I, I, again, I wouldn't call this a small gift, but um, David Tarrant, it looks like this company, uh, I don't know if they're lobbying, but uh, she's obviously, they're, they're very popular as a, a, a couple, and uh, they wanted the mention, and uh, the Post mentioned the company and, and the model. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to repeat it here. It's been repeated enough. Uh, if that's what they did, uh, you know, like a commercial, actually, um, uh, what do you make of that? Well, the, the scandal is great for the company. They're getting they're getting amplified coverage above and beyond uh, what Ms. Carr's social media, Mr. Singh's social media posts would have ever gotten them. So, I mean, this is a marketing win for them. But, but, but listen, I mean, Libby, the, the scandal here on the surface is not the real scandal. And, and Duff can speak to the, the ethics rules in place in Canada and why people in political office should not be using their office for private profit, which is very much what this is all come up from a rules standpoint. But, I mean, we have, we live in a, we live in a, in a country where, you know, the prime minister collects, you know, ethics violations like Christmas cards, right? And it hasn't hurt him electorally significantly. Uh, and, and so ultimately it comes down to whether or not, you know, what the political follow will be. And I, and I actually, well, I don't carry water for the NDP, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think Mr. Singh had the good fortune of, of having the scandal fall in a very busy news cycle. People are talking about COVID and Omicron and restrictions and lockdown, all that, on, on, and schools and such and such. And unless you're in the blessed position, like the three of us to, be in a role and a job where you get to kind of follow political news closely, um, you know, he probably will luckily, luckily have it skate over and, and have a blow over for him. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, people will keep trying to get away with this stuff as long as the pub, as long as the public or a significant cohort of voters lets them get away with it. Uh, I'd like to hear what people are thinking about this. Is this a big deal or not? I've heard people say, well, if any excuse uh, he might get away with, they might say they were just so tired uh, that their judgment was impaired uh, having that newborn. Uh, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Jeff Conacher, I mean... Uh, you know, if, if this is what some people really wanted to know. So if you're a family member, you're not supposed to take gifts. We know that, uh, Sophie Trudeau got in trouble for this. But if that's her job and it appears to be her job, it, it does that change anything? Uh, it doesn't change anything. It just means she has to be much more careful. 
And you mentioned Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Uh, uh, the same questions were raised about um, gifts to her that mostly designers, uh, jewelry and clothes were giving to her in uh, past years and continue to give. Um, and, you know, if a, com- a company may not be lobbying the government directly, but if they belong to an industry association, like the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, the Chamber of Commerce, then they are involved in lobbying the government. And most uh, businesses t- uh, of any size do belong to one or another industry association. So that's why you have to be so careful on this. And uh, with Jagmeet Singh, his spouse has to be very careful of, uh, with her job that um, she is not accepting any gifts that uh, raise these issues of of any of the companies in any way, directly or indirectly, lobbying federal politicians. Because if so, then she has to say no to that gift. In the same way that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau should be saying no to uh, designers uh, involved in companies that are looking to have her wear their jewelry or, or clothes to public events she goes to to pr- promote them. Well, she just can't do it. Because if you open that up, for the prime minister and an opposition party leader, then it's opened up for all MPs and small gifts have influence. And I wasn't saying that this is a small gift. This is a very significant gift worth uh, almost $2,000. But small gifts do have influence and lobbyists like to call themselves government relations people, not lobbyists. Uh, And it's all about building relations. And the number one way to influence someone in terms of their decisions about you is to give them a gift or do them a favor. And if you allow it to be done by anybody, you are corrupting political decision-making in a very serious way that will undermine uh, politicians upholding the public interest. Uh, That's been proven in several studies worldwide, including doctors say, well, the free samples we get from drug companies don't change the drugs we we prescribe. And then studies have been done showing that it changes the drugs they prescribe every time, even though they're not using the free samples themselves. It's not a gift to them, but it changes what they do, and uh, they don't even realize it. It's, it operates on a subconscious level. Yeah, that, that that's all really interesting. But, you know, again, uh, if I'm I'm thinking that if in this and say the cases of those designers, uh, they weren't after some kind of change in legislation, they wanted the exposure, the publicity of the prime minister's wife wearing their clothes in this case. I mean, you could say, David, that, uh, you know, um, Gurki Rancor, uh, lovely as she may be, she's has, she's famous or has all these followers largely because she's married to the leader of the NDP. So does that taint every gift that she might accept? Yeah, I, I, I'd say, listen, there's a broader issue here. And of course, said, now that the scandal on the surface is, is not the real scandal here. Um, uh, and, uh, and while I listen, uh, I'm always reticent about going after family members of, of politicians. Uh, you know, I, when I work, uh, I've seen that when I work for Premier Fours, people going after his family, uh, you know, at, uh, some progressive groups, and it was gross. And I don't, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I don't like doing it for other, for other politicians. But the issue here with Mr. Singh is this. Um, uh, we know he polls incredibly well among Canadians. He doesn't get a lot of votes on election time, but they'll tell pollsters, oh, I love Jagmeet Singh. He's so passionate and authentic and all that. Um, um, this kind of just blows that up in terms of, of, of who he is and what he's about. And, and it, it, it's, you know, it, it's not quite the pattern for Mr. Trudeau, but, you know, he, you know, he will, he's quite happy during election time filming a series of TikTok videos talking about how he's going to tax the rich and crack down on the privileged class and, get a better deal for ordinary people. But then when the camera gets turned off, he goes home and he enjoys indulging himself in the perks and luxuries and connections of being a well-connected office holder. And so he'll sit down and he'll enjoy his free chair or his bespoke suits or, or, or whatever, you know, and then he'll go back the next day and he'll film another TikTok video saying how all those richy, rich fat cats are looking down on you. And this over time, will blow up that authenticity that people think he has, right? You can either you can either get freebies from companies because you're a well-connected political insider, or you can claim you're fighting for ordinary people out there. You really can't be both. And, and that, I think, is the real scandal about what Mr. Singh has done here. Uh, none of which is illegal. Uh, let me take a call from Daryl in Toronto. Hi, Daryl. Hi, how's everyone today? 
I think you kind of discovered the point I was going to make, but it was when you said that the, Mr. Singh's wife is an influencer. And I just don't know how you separate uh, her being an influencer from being his wife in that position. Uh, and, you know, the same things were said about uh, Trudeau's mother and, and wife doing uh, you know, speeches for we, which I presume is probably something, you know, besides getting paid for, they probably believed in the cause that they were talking about. So I really don't see, you know, how someone can be an influencer in that position. Uh, yeah, um, I have that question as well, Daryl. Thanks for your call. Um, so, Duff, in terms of the ethics investigation, what they've now said they made an error, they're paying it back. Does that is that the end of it? Yes, you had said just before the, the caller, um, none of this is illegal. Um, but yes, it is an illegal gift. Oh. And uh, that's why he's paying for it, because it's, it was illegal for him to be accepting such a gift uh, from a company. Uh, sorry, um, I, w- I was referring to all of her kind of work as an influencer. So are you oh, saying all okay. of that is illegal? Uh, well, it can be again if if the company is involved in any kind of industry association that is seeking any kind of um, decision from federal politicians, then she can't be taking those gifts. Uh, it's the same as uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau taking gifts uh, from companies that are wanting any kind of decision from federal politicians. You just can't open that door. If you're going to open that door, then you're going to open the door to all sorts of uh, gifts and favors that will um, influence politicians' decisions in favor of whoever is is giving the gift or doing the favor for them. And then you won't have politicians upholding the public interest. They'll be returning those favors. Well, yeah. Um, but again, my, my overriding question is, does it make it okay if all the people want is the publicity? No, well, if, if that is all they want, and they do not in any way, directly or indirectly, uh, seek anything from the federal government through an industry association lobby or lobbying themselves, then there isn't a conflict of interest if, if they have uh, uh, no interest at all. But that, and that's why the, the standard is that you cannot accept a gift that could reasonably be seen to have been given to influence you. Automatically, if you're lobbying for something, and you can reasonably see that they gave the gift to influence the decisions of the politician. And in a minority government, opposition party politicians have to be more careful with this because they have more power in terms of uh, changing any kind of proposal that the government makes or, or uh, passing something themselves through parliament. Uh, in a majority government situations, they don't have as much power. So all of those things are taken into account in enforcing this uh, this line that you can't accept anything that, that could reasonably be seen to influence you. So does this go away uh, with them paying for it and saying they made a mistake? I don't think so in that she may have accepted other gifts in the past that may raise these issues and the ethics commissioner may not have been aware that she was doing it. Uh, I know the NDP uh, statement uh, said that they will continue as they have in the past to uh, be checking with the ethics commissioner on gifts that she receives. So, I mean, they should be aware of the rule. It's a very clear rule that it covers gifts and benefits that are given not just to the MP, but to the members of the MP's family. So they should have been aware of this and clearing it with the ethics commissioner on an ongoing basis um, ever since he became a federal MP. Uh, So we'll see whether there's a a look back at all to any past gifts that she may have received. Libby, if I can add add one thing, though, what Duff said, though, Libby, for a law to matter, the consequences of breaking a law has to matter. And I think what we have, and there's two ways that can matter, either through through some sort of formal censure, like consequences, you're found to break Canada's ethics law or conflict of interest laws, and there's a significant penalty. Or there's a political cost in terms of the public says, well, you're, you, you actually, you actually are, are not the authentic, honest person we thought you were, and, and there'll be a political price. And I think what you see in Canada right now is neither of those things are true. Like, yeah, no, that's so, true. There is, so there is no penalty, there's no yeah. fine for violating the most serious rules that protect uh, 
and ensure that politicians and government officials are ethical. All it is is a public report saying you broke the rules, which can have a political cost, but uh, it, it often doesn't because the other politicians are doing the same thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and so no one really looks for it. No one's uh, voter can really say there's someone else to vote for who is actually clean. Or, or your supporters are prepared to look past. I mean, we, we all watched uh, aghast at how many ethical violations Donald Trump went through south of the border. Uh, and his supporters said, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. We, we, it doesn't matter what you tell us on being a crook. We're sticking with them. To a lesser extent, but still a significant extent, we've seen multiple ethics violations from Justin Trudeau. Yep. And, his supporter, and his supporters say, doesn't matter. doesn't matter how many times he's found violating ethics laws or conflict of interest laws. SNC Lavalin, the Wee Charity, him taking vacations from billionaires' private islands, doesn't matter. And, and so if there's no political repercussions, and there's no formal repercussions, like Duff said, oh, you get, you, you get a stern letter written saying, bad boy, you broke the rules. Like, that's the extent of the consequences for Mr. Singh, just like it was for Mr. Trudeau. That's probably a problem, right? Because it's not really a law if there's no consequences for breaking it. David, uh, last 20 seconds to you. Does this go anywhere or uh, it, does he get a free pass? I think he gets a free pass. Uh, and, and like you say, Libby, you know, in my personal politics, I don't carry water for the NDP. Um, but people have bigger issues on their plate these days than, than, than what, you know, the, the third party in the, in the, or the fourth party in the House of Commons, what their leader is doing, what freebies are giving. People worry about schools, Omicron restrictions, you know, will I get to see my, my grandfather or grandmother in the care home and you know what on scheme of things, Canadians have bigger things under place, and I'm sure the NDP is counting on that. Okay. Uh, very interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Duff Conacher and David Tarrant. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will be talking about that very serious situation on the Ukraine-Russian border, where we stand in this, and what is happening. Uh, Very scary. Uh, When we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Tensions are rising on the Ukraine border with Russia amid warnings from the U.S. and NATO that Putin could invade at any moment. Russia denies this and insists that this is about making sure Ukraine does not join NATO, and that is an assurance that both NATO and the U.S. are declining to give. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie just wrapped up her two-day visit to Ukraine saying there's no decision yet as to whether Canada will support Ukraine by supplying them with military uh, gear. Britain is uh, giving them anti-tank weapons. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in the Ukraine now. Sorry, Ukraine. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dr. Oral Brown, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at the University of Toronto and uh, a Center Associate of the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University, and Dr. Andriy Zayarnyuk, Professor of History at the University of Winnipeg, and he teaches about the Soviet Union, Ukraine, and nationalism. Thank you both for joining us. Hello, thank you. Let us begin with Dr. Brown. How dangerous uh, is the point we're at right now? It is dangerous, not necessarily because Vladimir Putin has decided firmly to invade and try to conquer the rest of Ukraine, but rather because the possibility of the West showing further weakness will tempt Mr. Putin, and there will be miscalculation, misperception. This is how often conflicts start. Vladimir Putin is uh, essentially playing poker. He has uh, a relatively weak hand that is playing quite well. Mr. Biden, uh, head of a real superpower, has a strong hand, but so far he has played it quite poorly. Okay, uh, Dr. Zayarnyuk, uh, do you agree with that? Have Has the West been weak? I mean, Biden has said that he's not going to send troops over there. 
Yes, uh, I agree that the situation is dangerous and uh, the West is divided. Uh, UK and US did send weapons to Ukraine, while Germany, for example, declined to do so. Um, and uh, I think from the Ukrainian perspective, um, this division within the West um, is perceived as uh, dangerous indifference and uh, a repetition of of history. Because Ukraine did fail uh, to achieve independence in 1917-1918 during the Ukrainian Revolution in the aftermath of World War One, and partly because of the position Western powers uh, took at the Versailles Conference in 1919. Uh- Dr. Brown, do you see uh, this as a divide? I mean, not everybody is is sending weapons, but Western countries uh, seem to be agreed, uh, certainly that they won't uh, bar Ukraine from joining NATO. This is the rhetoric, but look at the reality. The reality is that uh, more than seven years ago, in 2014, Russia invaded illegally, annexed illegally, Crimea. And today we are told by our prime minister that any further conquest is absolutely unacceptable. But are we accepting what Russia has already taken and pleading with Moscow not to conquer more of Ukraine? So rhetoric is not enough. Diplomacy is absolutely preferable to war. Everything should be done to avoid armed conflict because armed conflict is unpredictable. It can quickly escalate and it is understandable why countries would wish to avoid it. But if you exclude the military dimension, if you say that you are negotiating but you do not have the military option, you exclude that option, you are negotiating with one hand tied behind your back. And the military aid so far to Ukraine in terms of defensive weapons, has been extremely limited. And Ukraine desperately needs that. And so we need to, if we're serious, if we are to create an effective deterrent, we need to back diplomacy up with hard power as well. And in your view, the hard power is sending the um, military equipment? That would be an important step. Uh, Canada has now sent special forces, but this is a very small group. We provide training. We are helping with the judiciary. That's important. But Ukraine is requesting, they are pleading for defensive weapons, anti-aircraft weapons, anti-tank weapons. The British are supplying them with some. United States is going to give them $200 million additional uh, supplies, but it's a very small uh, amount. And Russia's demands are breathtaking. Not only are they refusing to budge on uh, Crimea, never mind giving back what they illegally took, and uh, the support for rebels in the eastern part of Ukraine in the Donbass, but they are demanding that Ukraine's sovereignty should be limited, that Russia should have a veto power as to what associations that country should have. And I assume that veto power would extend to any other uh, country wishing to get into NATO because uh, Moscow is saying they want a written guarantee that there will be no NATO enlargement. Well, at the moment, Finland and Sweden, deeply alarmed by Russia's aggressive actions, not just in Ukraine but elsewhere, are thinking about possibly joining NATO. So will their sovereignty be limited as well? Moscow is also saying that they want to limit any military exercises, rotational troops, uh, by NATO within Eastern Europe. That would make the new members or newer members of NATO second-class citizens. So is this what is being negotiated? Uh, the West said that they, they would refuse to do this. So what exactly are these negotiations, especially when Mr. Biden seems to exclude uh, the possibility that if Russia uses force, it will also be met with force? Uh, Dr. Zyarnyuk, um, I heard the chief Russian spokesman say that 
at the time that the Berlin Wall came down, there was some kind of informal agreement uh, between Gorbachev and the West that that uh, NATO would not expand into what was then the Russian sphere. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, this is the point Russia raises consistently for the last, I think, 20 years at least. Um, the problem is that there was no Russia back then when the Berlin Wall came down. The talks were between the Soviet Union and U.S., and U.S. had no legal rights to speak on behalf of all the NATO. So whatever informal arrangements the Secretary of State back then made with Gorbachev, and there were no firm commitments made, um, to the best of my knowledge. Um, if you look at what, at, what, um, at what happened after that, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, you have a number of Central Eastern European states, including former Soviet republics, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, joining NATO. And uh, it's not an expansion, because Russians always presented as some kind of imperial expansion of the NATO, but it was actually new sovereign states, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Poland, who joined NATO because they uh, perceived Russia as a potential threat and believed that NATO was the only uh, realistic defense against those Russian imperial ambitions. So it's not so much the expansion of NATO as um, initiative of uh, Central Eastern European sovereign states um, that explains this extension of NATO in, into Central Eastern Europe. Uh, Dr. Brown, what the West seems to be saying is that they think that the sanctions, an increase in sanctions against Russia and uh, financial penalties and freezing assets would be enough. Um, do you, uh, what do you make of that? I'm rather skeptical. Sanctions have not deterred Russia so far. After all, uh, sanctions were imposed after 2014 when Russia acted uh, in violation of the Budapest Memorandum. This was not an imagined agreement. This was not an informal agreement. This was a firm commitment by Russia, by United States, by Britain to the integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine. They violated that in the most brazen fashion. It was an attack on Ukraine and on international law. Sanctions were imposed, and seven years plus later, we are back to either warning Russia or pleading with Russia not to take more Ukrainian territory. And in many ways, this notion that this is about the enlargement of NATO is really subterfuge, because after all, in 2014, it was not NATO enlargement. The crisis in Ukraine came about because that country uh, backed out of a possible agreement of a loose association, very loose association, preliminary steps towards joining the EU way down the line. This was not NATO. And it seems that in many respects, what Russia fears most is not NATO, not the EU, what, what they fear most is democracy. They do not want to see the Kremlin, which is running an increasingly dictatorial regime that is utterly corrupt in Moscow. They do not want to see a successful democratic Ukraine that would present an alternate model, a country of, uh, that's a Slavic state, 43 million people plus, who would have successfully transitioned to democracy. The threat of democratic contamination is probably what Vladimir Putin fears the most. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, where do you think this goes from here? If you're predicting, uh, 
Dr. Zayarniuk, uh, we, we don't have very much time left. What do you think happens next? Well, I'm a historian. I'm not in the business of predicting future. And uh, I mean, to, to know what's happening in Putin's head, you need a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist, not, not historian. So, uh, yeah, I don't know whether Putin decides to invade Ukraine or maybe he will postpone it till next time. Um, but the situation is extremely dangerous. And... Uh, the whole world should do something about it, not just Ukraine. And uh, Dr. Brown, uh, I, I heard a report that uh, he's uh, Putin is uh, doing something with Belarus. Uh, what's going on with that? They are conducting uh, new maneuvers uh, uh, in Belarus, uh, Belarus borders Ukraine. So this is almost a kind of encirclement, military encirclement of Ukraine, creating a more dangerous situation. Uh, it means that Russian troops are positioned in a uh, 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 way in which they can have a standing start, so they could move very, very quickly from a position where they are stationary to one uh, where they are moving into Ukraine with overwhelming force. So, obviously, this is alarming uh, Western leaders and Western military planners, and most of all, of course, uh, uh, Ukraine. Uh, but as my colleague said, it is very difficult to predict anything uh, in international relations, even in domestic relations. Uh, but if we were to speculate, and uh, I emphasize this is just speculation, please, it would seem that uh, Vladimir Putin wants to get certain gains. One is to lock in what he has already gained. Because you will notice there's not, not much discussion any longer about reversing Crimea Crimea, or stopping what's happening in the Donbass itself. Uh, and so he thinks he's a, he is in a win-win situation so far. Uh, here's a country, you know, Russia is not a superpower except in terms of its nuclear arsenal. When you look at the Russian economy, it is a massive failure. The Russian GDP is maybe one-fifteenth or as low as one-twentieth of that of collective NATO. And yet he is in a position where Western diplomats, here's the American Secretary of State from a superpower with at least eight times the GDP of Russia, going to Geneva to plead and warn perhaps, but in many ways to plead with um, the uh, Russian foreign minister, for Russia not to take further action in Ukraine. And so the biggest danger is what I mentioned earlier, of miscalculation. If there is going to be conflict, it will be that Mr. Putin, who is a ruthless leader at home, is not a reckless leader, despite the aggressive acts that he has taken. He has moved against soft targets. He, he perceived that Ukraine is a soft target, that the West will not defend it, that the West will not provide Ukraine with the weapons that it needs to defend itself. Okay, we, we're going to have to wrap things up there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Brown and Dr. Andre Zayernyuk, and I'm sure we will be returning to this subject. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.